Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. When you love deeply, it hurts to lose that love. Whether the person you love dies, abandons you, cheats on you, turns on you, or even continues to live in the same house but with no love shown, then you'll find yourself in the powerful grasp of grief. In our work, we see it with people whose spouses fall in love with somebody else or in a straying spouse who decides to come home but now has to deal with the loss of the other relationship. We feel our hearts break when it's a child struggling to understand why a parent isn't there any longer. We also hurt for the parent who loses a child to death. Is there hope? Absolutely. Can life be good again? Yes. There is a process and it works. I'm Dr. Joe Beam. I am the chairman of Marriage Helper. We are a 501c3 nonprofit based in Nashville, Tennessee or just south of Nashville, Tennessee, I should say. We work with people in relationships, particularly in marriages, but in all kinds of relationships. And tonight, as we deal with this subject and show you how you can deal with it, I've invited a special guest to be on with me. He's a dear friend of mine. Additionally, he and his wife, Debbie, back in 2008, founded sparkoflife.org, and they do grief recovery retreats, among other resources that they offer. David, welcome to the show tonight. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes, I can hear you fine, my friend. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that you can hear you loud and clear. We have a lot of callers lining up already, my friend. Now, okay. Tell me first how, what it was that motivated you and Debbie to begin working with people who are healing from the loss. Well, in 2007, our oldest son, Adam, and his wife, Rebecca, uh, had a baby, our first uh, grandson, Josiah, and he died. He lived seven minutes and died in his daddy's mama's arms. And we just saw the tremendous uh, hurt and pain and uh, devastation that they experienced. And, of course, we as grandparents, we not only lost a grandson, but uh, really probably one of the toughest things was watching our our, our son go through that and his wife. And uh, we just knew we had to do something with that death. And, uh, and, you know, everybody's individual. They have to respond in the way they think they need to respond as far as what do you do with, with a tragedy and a loss. And uh, we just believe God led us to uh, give our lives to trying to help uh, hurting people. We have been doing your workshops, as you know, and really every, every workshop we do marriage helper workshop, we do, we see, tremendous loss in the room and grief is there. So there's many different kinds of losses, but uh, we knew the power of three day intensives. You really taught us that, you know, in three days, people can have a turnaround. They can have hope uh, in the midst of deep pain. And so we believed that that was possible. So we started spark of life and we've done 70 grief recovery retreats serving about a thousand people and our retreats, uh, we don't charge anything for them. They're, they're given as a gift by spark of life. And, and it's just been a tremendous blessing. And uh, di- just to see that people can have hope in the midst of deep pain. And of course uh, you deal with marriage all the time and you know about loss 
I mean, you know that there's deep grief in, in marriages and relationships. So that's what really prompted us to do this. Well, thank you, David. And we'll talk a little bit more about Spark of Life as we get further into the program. Right now, what I want to do is just kind of deal with the subject to begin with. When, why is it that we feel such deep grief when we lose someone that we love, either, either because of the fact that a death has occurred, such as with Josiah, or because of the fact that the spouse has left me for someone else, or my parent has moved out of the home and moved in with somebody else, or even a child has died. I realize that those are different things, and I'm not trying to say that losing a child dying in your arms is the exact same thing as your spouse cheating on you. I'm not trying to say that at all, but... But they both involve loss. And, and why is there then, my friend, such deep pain in us as humans when we lose something we love or lose someone we love? Well, it's, it's really interesting you brought that up about uh, comparing losses. And one thing we don't do at our retreats is compare losses because we have people who are divorced that come to our retreats. People have lost spouses. People have lost children. We actually combine the losses uh, because all loss hurts and it stinks, right? And that's the common denominator. And I think what happens is a piece of us is gone uh, is why it hurts so bad. There's a hole in our hearts, as we like to say, they, you know, somebody leaves me or betrays me, or uh, maybe they emotionally abuse me or, or abandon me. Uh, it is like a death. I mean, because a part of us has died uh, and that, that, that heart is, is wounded and, you know, our, our deal at Spark and, and when we deal with grievers and the same thing at the marriage workshops, we, we want to give people hope. We want to give them great tools and we want to give them hope that though that heart has been wounded and a piece of me is gone, uh, life can still be rich and fulfilling, but it'll never be the same again. It can never. And all the losses you describe and all the losses we can think of, that heart is wounded so deeply and really, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Earl Grohman. He's a Jewish writer, but he says grief is not a disorder, a disease, or a sign of weakness. It is an emotional, physical, and spiritual necessity. It's the price we pay for love. So I think that's why we grieve because love has been Mm -hmm. wounded. Yeah. I think, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I give my love to you and rather than reciprocating, you leave. It's interesting, Dave, and I'll ask you about this in just a few minutes, but it's kind of interesting to me. I remember several years ago when I was teaching at a university down in Alabama that one of my students' mother died a slow and very painful death. And when finally she did pass from this life into the next, good Christian woman, and based on our belief system, that means that she has not ceased to exist. She's just not in this body here. But her daughter became extremely angry. And when I was talking to her, I said, why? Why are you so angry? And she said she could have held on another two or three days if she had tried. Now, I'm going to ask you about that in a few minutes because I, of course, I wasn't her. I wasn't in her shoes. I didn't understand her pain the way she did. What I was thinking was as much pain as she was in, why would you want her to stay another two or three days? But she did. And as you said, it's losing a part of ourselves. And even if the person dies, but especially in those other situations, it's like I poured my love into you and now and now it feels like you have thrown it away or as you said a part of me has died my expectations of what i thought life was going to be like have been rudely disrupted so when when we have that there is a process right that a person can use to go through to heal now i understand that explaining the process on this program is in in no way a substitute for people coming to for example youth intensive but 
But can you give some principles here that people can deal or use to deal with the pain that they have? Yeah, it's just like the illustration you just mentioned about the girl, uh, the woman who lost her mother, uh, wanting her to stay there a few more days. Uh, You know, why? Well, her loss of her mom is in the context of her whole life with her mother. Okay, so, so, you know, when you take a loss and you, you if you can just picture taking it out of the context of your whole life and putting it aside and trying to deal with it, an outsider see uh, doesn't see the relation, the relationship as it is. They don't see that all losses in the context of other losses, which is really in the context of my relationship with that person. So I might lose somebody. Uh, we had a 75 year old woman come to a retreat, lost her 95 year old father who lived a great life. They had a great relationship and she couldn't get out of that pit of grief. And everybody, all her friends said, why do you need a retreat? Your father lived a rich, full life. He's going to heaven. Everything, you know, you, you had a great relationship with him. We understand you're sad, but the, but the, the fact was she had a history with her father. She had called and talked to her dad every single day for about 40 years and talked to him for one hour every day. And that was the person that connected with her in her life more than any other. And so, you know, when you look at the context of of loss, it's really difficult for others to understand why somebody else might be hurting so bad, but but they haven't walked in their shoes, as you said. And Mm -hmm. the the process of recovery, uh, it's not that complicated. It's tough emotionally, you know, but there's, and, and what we found at our retreats, working with about a thousand grievers uh, very personally and very intensely, is that they really need to give themselves permission to grieve. That's where is we that start. Of, okay, so that's the first yeah. step then, give myself yes. permission yeah. to grieve. Why do some people yeah. not do that, Dave? Well, they, because of our society and because of what they've learned, and we always say grievers have broken hearts. They do not have broken brains. And that uh, that comes from the Grief Recovery Handbook. That's one of our major resources that we use, and people can buy that anywhere. Uh, But the Grief Recovery Handbook makes that statement, and it really makes sense. And so when I'm undergoing grief, and people will say, it's been a year, you need to get over it, Uh, really cruel things that people say say in trying to help. Uh, We live in a society that, you know, we've cleaned up death. We, We go to the funeral home. Everything's nice and clean. And I don't think we, as, a, as in the Western culture, really, generally speaking, have a good grasp on grieving. And, uh, and so grieving is the first thing that we try to get people to see is you're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. We tell our, 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 those who are grieving that come the first night, Thursday night, we say, we're not here to fix you. And if somebody comes to me for counsel, I will say, uh, they want to be fixed. Everybody wants to be fixed, but we're not there to fix them because we don't think they have a broken brain. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be loved, accepted, given permission to grieve and to feel terrible, and then given some tools to work through that grief that will accelerate them getting out of that pit and giving themselves permission not only to grieve, but permission to live a rich and fulfilled life. And a lot of people feel guilt. They, mm-hmm. they think they don't have the right to be happy again because somebody they deeply loved is gone. Uh, it could be in a divorce situation or an affair uh, in relationships, uh, many non-death issues. And so this permission to grieve uh, actually helps us 
get out of, we call it the pit of grief. It helps us get out of that pit of grief in a, in a healthier way. Uh, when I stop fighting against feeling bad, I tend not to feel bad so long. And, and, and so it's okay that you feel bad. I, I am so sorry that you have to go through such deep pain is what we tell them. But grief is the normal and natural response to loss. And it's the price we pay for love. If we so didn't, you know, ask you, yeah. okay, let me ask yeah. you a question about this yeah. guilt then. When you said right. that, for example, uh, a little while back, a very dear friend of mine is, he lived down in Huntsville, Alabama. His name is Larry Brennan. He and his wife, Donna, had gone to college with Alice and me back in the day. And I knew he was ill. And I keep, kept thinking, I've got to go see him. I've got to go see him. And, and months passed. You know, you're thinking, I'll go next week. I'll find out some, I'll find some way to do it. I'll find some time. Uh-huh. Well, he, he passed from this life before I went to see him. And his son called me and told me that his dad was dying. I drove as rapidly as I could, but I was too late when I got there. He was already passed. And so I stood next guilt. to his, Oh yeah. I stood next to his yeah. bed and, and, and sobbed for a couple of reasons. One, the most important is because he was my dear, dear friend. But the second right. was I was feeling so guilty. I didn't come mm-hmm. for you. So how do you right. deal with guilt like that? Well, you've hit upon something that is really the core of, of our work with those who are grieving, and it is to help them complete the incompletes. When uh, I don't know if you ever wait till April 15th, midnight, to file your taxes, you're right. But, you know, actually, I wait till October 15th, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I have an incomplete, I, I worry about it until it's done. And so, with the taxes, I feel really good. April 15th, 11.59 p.m., I run down the post office and drop that tax return in the mailbox, and I feel a sense of relief. I'm lighter. But up until then, I have this uneasiness about me. Well, just multiply that feeling times about 10,000 uh, when you lose a loved one and you have regrets and you have incompletes. And, I, oh, I wish I would have said something or done something different, better, or more. Uh, we deal with suicides a lot. The families come and their, their, their teenager or their spouse or their, their sister or brother have taken their own lives. And you talk about guilt. You know, why didn't I notice the signs? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I call them more? Uh, why wasn't I a better friend or a better father? And so all these feelings of guilt uh, are incomplete. And so there, there's a book out years ago by an old insurance salesman called A.L. Williams. I don't know if you ever remember that name, but A.L. Williams wrote a book, All I Can Do is All I Can Do, and All I Can Do is Enough. And so we teach uh, once you've got, to, you've got to recognize the incompletes with the relationship you had with the one that's now not with you. And it could be a non-death loss. Uh, we've had parents who've lost kids to drugs and alcohol abuse, and, and the kids are still alive. We've had parents who've lost their kids to sex slavery, and, and they don't mm-hmm. know where their kids are. So they have all these incompletes, and, and, and they have guilt. Almost everybody has guilt. I mean, I yelled at my mom the night before she died, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she was living with us. I, I, it wasn't a bad thing. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but I didn't know she was going to die the next day. Right. So I had this guilt. So what can I do with guilt? And so if I offend you, Joe, and I, I, I feel guilty and I, I have some regrets. Oh, I wish I hadn't have said that to Joe. I'm not going to rest easy until I call you and apologize. I have got to do what I can do. 
So once I call you and say, you know, Joe, I said something the other day and I want to apologize to you. It's really up to you uh, whether you forgive me or not, but I've done all I can do. I, what more can I do? I can stop the action that hurts you. I can mm -hmm. apologize. And then when I do all I can do and I can do no more, I, I feel lighter. And so what we lead uh, all our people through in the retreats is completing the incompletes. And there's two big incompletes and one's guilt and the other is resentment. And so uh, what we do, we change the word guilt to regret. Everybody feels guilt when they come to a retreat. It's almost without question. Almost everybody does. And uh, even, even the, the woman who lost, uh, who had a miscarriage, uh, and you know, that, that's a loss of a child. Uh, mm -hmm. They have tremendous guilt. And you say, how could a woman who loses a child to miscarriage, it wasn't her fault, but what does she think? Well, if I'd have eaten right, if I'd have taken care of myself, maybe this wouldn't have happened. So mm -hmm. we actually have them write letters, and they have to identify their, their guilt and their incompletes, and, and then they have to apologize. But they don't apologize to the person that's alive because if the person's dead. And if, if it, the person's alive, it's not an apology that they mail a letter to. Uh, it's for themselves. They have to work on themselves. So they actually have to write a letter and say, I apologize for this. And they have to name the things that they uh, need to apologize for. And so the and, incompletes uh, just and, keep you all tied up. Yeah. Okay. And the reason that you don't have them send it to living people is yeah. because of the potential response. Is that the reason? Oh, yes. If they want to try to reconcile with the person as far as emotionally reconcile, maybe not physically, that's up to them, but that's not the purpose that weekend. The purpose that weekend is for them. It's, it's for themselves. I mean, I did my work on a best friend who betrayed me, you know, when I yep. first uh, went through this. Mm -hmm. If I had shared the letter with him, uh, because I had resentments also, uh, mm -hmm. and most of us do have some kind of resentments, even to uh, a, a child who died. We might have resentments toward the doctor, uh, resentments toward God. And so, uh, I have to, I have to wrap, I have to uh, forgive the resentments and I have to apologize for the regrets or the guilt that I have. And okay. So, now we, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. go ahead. Well, if I mailed the letter or if I told my, my friend who betrayed me, if I read to him every resentment I had, he would start defending himself. It would mm -hmm. not be healthy for us, me to do that. And we deal with many people who have, uh, you know, they've had abuse in the past, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Uh, many women have had domestic abuse from their husbands who come to our retreats. And so it might not be healthy for them to do that. Okay. Does that make now, sense? Yeah. I, I'm, 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 yes. And, but I want to add some things to it. We, okay. for example, let's, let's put it in the context of the people that we deal with here okay. at Parent Shelter. Right. So, right. so let's say here's, well, uh, uh, last week, for example, we had a, a woman and her son call in and talk to us about the pain. She talked first about the pain that, that she had in her life from what her parents had done when they separated and divorced. And then she talked about the pain she feels now that her husband has left her and moved in with another woman. He's not married to that right. woman, but he's living with her and, and not divorced from, from you know, his wife. And then the 13-year-old son comes on, a very strong young man, a very impressive young man. But he talked about his pain. And, and how he became angry at God and how that he struggles spiritually, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So one of the things we do in our online course, David, is called Save My Marriage. And it's online. And that course is for the spouse who 
wants to put the marriage back together, even if the other doesn't. And one of the things that we suggest in that course is that you write a very brief letter of anything that you know that you actually did. You don't elaborate. You don't beat yourself up. You just say, you know, I know I was controlling. I'm very sorry about that. I hope that some of you can forgive me. Or I know that I didn't listen to you like I should. So it's it's a relatively brief letter where they don't beat themselves up. They don't go on and on. And they don't put any resentment in. Now, we tell them that if they're going to send that letter, and we suggest that they do, that they might get a positive response. They might get no response. They might get a negative response. But, of course, we're doing that in the context of... We're showing you the things to do that hopefully can at some point lead to the reconciliation of your marriage. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, let's go back to this, this uh, lady and her son. They're both very hurt. All right. Now, let's just talk in the context of them right now because we got kind of two different groups going there. She's about right. her husband and he about his dad. All right. So what I've heard you so, so far, say so far is, number one, give yourself permission to grieve. That that's extremely right. important. Okay. Number and and two, don't let anybody else set time limits on that. That's oh, you. And you that's alone. very important. Very yes. important. Okay. Yes. Give yourself permission to grieve. Don't yes. let anybody else set time limits on it. Good. Very good. Right. And number two, then, start delineating or defining, I guess you should say, whatever you say it, your, both your regrets and your resentments into yes. where you can write it out in detail. Right? Right. Right. And this is part of a process of me actually processing my regrets and my resentments. Is that right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and this is a personal thing for you in, in the context you mentioned where uh, it's safe to have, you know, contact with the person. That's a, uh, yeah, I would agree with everything you're saying. And yeah, well, we would, we would yeah. never tell them, send your resentments. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so let's say this, this, this wonderful lady that talked to us last week and her 13-year-old son have done that. They've, they've gone through that process of writing out their resentments right. and their regrets. Now what? Well, for them, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what next? Well, now, assume, I, assume that they were at your retreat. Okay, what next? Right. Well, what, of course, it, what would be next would, be, would greatly depend on what the other person is going to do with that. And you're saying okay, they're going to let's just assume that they're not going to send it. They're, they're doing it okay. just as your process yeah. says. They've written it, but they're not going right. to send it. Now what? Well, once they do that, there's nothing left to do as far as the regrets and resentments. Uh, we actually have them write a letter and put it in their notebook. And then, uh, for example, uh, they they uh, next week they might think of another resentment, mm-hmm. gotcha. <laughs> or they might think of another regret. So they get the letter and put P.S. Mm-hmm. All right. You always apologize for your regrets and you always forgive the resentments. You actually say the words, I forgive you, mom, when you uh, said when you were drunk every night for for six years when I grew up. I mean, that was me. Right. I had to forgive my mom of that. And so I, I had to write that down. I forgive you. And then I remembered something a week later and I had to get out my letter and say, P.S. I remember this. Uh, but, you know, we also do a third thing that I didn't mention in the letter. We, we have what we call remembrances. It's good memories. Good. They have to think of the good memories of the person that they lost. And it can, often it's a divorce situation. And, mm-hmm. and you understand if, if sometimes it's not healthy for them to reestablish that relationship. But sometimes it does spark a, a reconciliation when it's a healthy situation. But the first thing they do is for themselves. Then they're in a position maybe to deal with uh, face-to-face or in a letter 
their regrets and their apologies, then they can go that next step. And so uh, we call them regrets, resentments, and remembrances. And the remembrances are always positive, always positive. Uh, and, and by the way, if somebody does it on somebody who has hurt them, like an abuse situation, like sexual mm-hmm. abuse, uh, we never, ever let them apologize to that person. Good. Uh, even in a letter ever, we say you do not do your regrets because you were totally innocent. Right. And you know this, that so many people feel guilt uh, mm-hmm. when they have done nothing wrong. They were children mm-hmm. and they were abused. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that answered your question. Uh, yeah, it does. I like yeah. that. Now, in, in the sense of the divorce. OK, right. my, my my wife left me. She ran off with Charlie. And and you're saying it's still healthy for me after my regrets and, and my uh, resentments. But it's healthy for me yes. to also write down the good times I had with her, even yes. though she's ripped my heart out. Tell me why. Well, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, because you're so hurt. But we tend to vilify or villainize uh, the people who've hurt us. And we tend to, uh, uh, we call it, we de- demonize or deify. We mm-hmm. demonize the people who, are, who we might say are less than loved ones. Uh, and so if we're not careful, everything is negative and it's really a skewed view because mm-hmm. we did have some good memories. We, we used to have, uh, you know, we used to love them. I mean, in a positive way, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And, and like when somebody loses a child, they, they, they tend to uh, uh, deify them and there's nothing they did wrong. So the mm-hmm. kid could drive a car. He could have uh, not wear a seatbelt. He could have drunk, been drunk when he drove it and was really, uh, foolish and, and, and was killed in a car wreck. And the parent has these deep resentments, but they don't want to say anything because they feel like that dishonors their child. Mm-hmm. And so they stuff those feelings of resentment. And so, uh, so we want them to be balanced in their view of the person. And so we want, uh, we make them do a timeline and they have to put at least three things above the line. If it's a less than loved one and three things below the line, uh, because below the line is negative, it's regrets and resentments. Above the line is positive memories. It gives us a, a better view, a more balanced view of reality. So we mm-hmm. want to remember the good times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's very powerful to do that. And when people do all they can do, right? I mean, what more can you do? Mm-hmm. And so they feel a sense of, of release uh, and they, they feel different. They feel like the backpack's a little lighter as they, they travel out of this the pit of grief. And mm-hmm. the same thing with divorce and, and all of those other uh, relationship issues that we deal with all the time at, at, the, at the workshops and what you deal with all the time in the marriage so let, me ask you, let me ask you this then, my friend. Okay. Uh, you, you know, I truly appreciate you being on the program, and you know how much I love you and Debbie. You guys are awesome. But I'm going to ask you a, a kind of a hard question out, and, okay. and I, didn't, I didn't prep you for this, so I'm reminding you I love you before I ask. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, wait, I can't hear you, Joe. we got a bad connection. <laughs> okay. So, so let's, say, let's say we have the – we'll just make it a wife. It could be anybody. And, okay. and the husband's off living with, you know, Sally, and, and, and the wife has so convinced herself that because she's doing all the right things that he is definitely going to come back. Now, you know okay. that you and I believe that there's always hope. As a matter of fact, what I, say, what I say yeah. is this. We only give up hope when there's a death. And what I mean by that is if, if 
he divorces you and marries the other woman, and that's the death of your marriage, or right. if the person right. actually physically dies. But until then, there's always hope. So I don't want to ever right. take hope away from people. I, I right. live with hope. But yes. how can hope work against you healing from the, the loss, the hurt? How can hope work against you? Yeah, I know it can I, work I, for you, but how can it work yeah. against you at the same time? Well, it, it, it might. It, it, I don't know, Joe. That's a good question. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't well, know how to answer this. it except let, hope let me kind of the, put it this way. Okay, it, go ahead. The person, you know, he, he's been gone four years and, right. and right. he's been living with a, a series of women and he's become right. a person she doesn't even recognize anymore. And, and yet she continues to believe. And, and I understand I, I am for hope until right. such time as there can be no hope. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm hoping that the listeners understand what I'm trying to say here. But is there some point where if I'm going to heal, I can kind of leave the door open, which and I'm just actually describing what Alice right. did with me when I divorced her all those right. years ago. She finally accepted the fact he's gone. He's not coming back. Right. And she and moved so on. She, right. And she started dating you know, right. and she was, she's a pretty woman and got a great personality. And so suitors came around, yet she didn't completely close the door to me. And so when I finally did, after three years, call her and say, would you consider taking me back again? She had to process a lot. And finally, she decided to. So I guess I'm trying to find out where's the balance here, David, because you're the expert on this. Where's the balance between hope that helps and hope that doesn't help? I actually think that when a person does all they can do uh, and what we've been talking about, they, they've really verbalized and, and, and thought through their resentments, their regrets. Uh, they thought through the remembrances that they're in a better position emotionally to, to decide for themselves when that time comes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a gradual thing. And you've been there in, in the workshops and I've, I've been doing these for about 10 years. You've been doing them for 20 years uh, at least. Or, or, or close to it mm-hmm. that people try and try and try and the other party just keeps on hurting them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think when they really deal with their regrets and resentments and a lot of resentments in a healthy way, they're in a better position emotionally to know when to move on, maybe gradually. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of what Alice did. I, I would mm-hmm. think Alice went through a grieving process. Yeah. Uh, she, she, a part of her left, right? A part of her was gone mm-hmm. and all the pain that's associated with that. And she started to move on. She started to date, but she hadn't married yet. And so there was still hope. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that balance uh, gradually comes to a clearer understanding of the person as they go through and do healthy things uh, through this grieving process. I guess that's the best way I could explain it. Okay. I like uh, there's that. no absolutes here. Yeah. Oh, I understand. I understand. Yeah. A lot of the things we do in our world are more of an art than a science. I do understand yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. okay, let's see, let me bring up a part that's going to make some of our listeners angry with me. Okay. But, but it is a reality. All right. The woman I left Alice for, the one I was going to marry and be happily ever after, you know, that kind of stupidity that I was in at the time, that uh, when she abandoned me, I went into a grief process. We'll sure. have a, uh, a couple on the program next week, uh, Richard and Petra, who are just these wonderful, wonderful people. And, and when he finally came back to, well, it's actually Petra, when he came back to her uh, after ending things with the other woman, he went through the grief process about the other woman 
once he was back with Petra. Petra was so strong that she actually helped him go through that grief process. And I'll be asking him some questions about that next Uh week. So this is applicable. Even if the relationship you had, other people think you should have not had it. Or even if you regret the fact that you had it, right? Right. But you gave up part of your heart to this other woman. Right or wrong, I mean, you know it was wrong, but you You did, (laughs) right? And our emotions, uh, and you know this, our our emotions, I don't sit around, and if a bomb goes off outside, I don't sit around for 30 seconds trying to decide how I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to jump. I'm going to scream. I'm going to probably, you know, put you in front of me so you can protect me. (laughs) I'm I'm going to respond. (laughs) You're referring to my being larger than you now. No, 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 no. I wasn't going to say that. No, no. I, I'm going to respond with my emotions, and that's what emotions are. And so mm-hmm. as I give my heart to somebody else, I'm, I'm wrong decisions to get to that point. But once you do, uh, it's not realistic, and it's not an honest uh, uh, recovery if you don't acknowledge that those emotions still exist. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as you know, those emotions go away with abstinence. But the emotions uh, are neither right. They, they just are. We know that. We've heard that all our right. lives, but it's so right. true. And so I, I, I've got to deal with those emotions. And it's the same thing, uh, the grief process. If I give myself permission to have those emotions, even though I'm not with the other person, and if my spouse is as strong as this woman is mm-hmm. and as strong as Alice was and yes. is, mm-hmm. They give yourselves permission to have those feelings, too. I think the feelings will go away uh, quicker when yes. you stop fighting against them. Yes. Very and that's good. for both parties. Yeah. Excellent. Boy, I'm glad it's, you wrote that. It's leaning into the waves instead of, of, of facing the waves head on. It's leaning into the waves, getting yourself permission to be propelled by the waves, and it doesn't hurt near as badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, permission to grieve is at the heart of so much. And uh, same way with faith in God, you know, uh, people say you should, you know, here's somebody who divorces or their husband leaves them or their wife leaves them or abandons them. Maybe they emotionally abuse them and they they live in an empty marriage and they're very lonely. And, you know, good Christian people say you should get over it. You know, uh, God mm-hmm. won't give you more than you can handle. Well, that's just not true. Uh, God no, didn't give you that. God didn't give you that, number one. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, the Son of God grieved. <laughs> and, yes. you know, a, a, part of the, a part of grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of our change in a familiar pattern of behavior. See, it's a change of, of a familiar pattern, and I don't know what to do with myself. You know, I'm at quit preaching after 40 years. Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, do you think I went through a grieving period? 40 years of preaching every Sunday. I was happy. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in so much stress. But, yeah, I understand. But it was, yeah, but it, it, I grieved. And so the, the, here's Jesus on the cross. He had never experienced a sin, but he became our sinner, our, even though he did no sin. Mm-hmm. And he, he was grieving. And, mm-hmm. and, and if, you, if you don't beat yourself up when you grieve in any situation where there's been a loss and whether it's non-death losses or death losses, it, it's a change of the familiar pattern of behavior. Plus part of my heart's gone and the person I had with me and the person we had dreams together, we're going to live life together. That mm-hmm. shattered dreams. And that, that, that's huge. And so, okay. okay give yourself permission and, and you'll be better off. 
Very good. Well, we're about to take a caller. Before that, we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff. The next thing was heavy for me, but as you would say, I shouldn't have other, I should not, if anybody were to say to me, oh, get over it, like, ignore that. One of the, and it happens to this day, every Christmas Eve, I get extremely sad because my children are grown. I'm not having to figure out how to put together that bike or, or those right. other things yeah. and, and yeah. we stay up till, you know, one o'clock in the morning saying words. I'm glad they were in bed and wouldn't hear because I'm trying to put these things together. And now they're grown and they have their own yep. families, except from a mentally handicapped daughter who lives with us, but they're grown and have their own families. And Joanna has her own children. And, and so every Christmas Eve, I, I, I guess I go through the grief process all over again. Yes. That, yes. They're, that they're not little children anymore. Yeah. The same That's principle. A great illustration. Yeah. The same same principles work there, Dave. Oh, exactly. And, and and those are triggers. You know, we call them triggers. And you know, you have anticipated triggers, and and holidays are really tough. A, a couple of our uh, friends of ours who help us do the workshops, they their daughter was murdered by her husband about five years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, and they live here in Searcy and. Uh, Anyway, it was just a, a tremendous tragedy, obviously, and uh, so much more involved in that. But, but Dennis was telling me the other day that this last December, a, a year ago, was, was the worst month he's had in five years. And he helps mm-hmm. us do grief recovery retreats, mm-hmm. and it's because of the triggers that it, that it brings up. And so our advice to people about triggers is when it's anticipated, have a plan for it. So Joe needs a, you need a plan for Christmas Eve. You and you and it'd be really helpful. And you've probably done this. Uh, you and Alice. You, you, first of all, you need to share that with somebody, and you did. And mm-hmm. if you share it with Alice and she accepts that as she would, then mm-hmm. you say, "What are we going to do with this?" Um, and sometimes you can't do anything. You just have to go through the sadness. Uh, but we really uh, we go over this as a section of our retreats. Please, please have a plan. For anticipated triggers, birthdays, anniversary of death, anniversary of divorce, you know, uh, wedding anniversaries when you're divorced or separated or, or, or the spouse dies. And, and then there's the unanticipated triggers, right? You, uh, mm-hmm. something triggers you and you, it might be a song. Uh, and, and, you know, here's a husband who, who had an affair and, they, and he puts it back with his wife and they build their marriage. And he hears a song that was meaningful to him and his lover mm-hmm, five right. years ago it's mm-hmm. an unanticipated trigger it could be a smell it, it could be a number of things i mean when people ask mm-hmm. us how many grandchildren we have i don't know what to say right uh, i mean we have we have eight grandchildren but seven are on this earth and mm-hmm. one's in heaven and it mm-hmm. just depends on what i want to do with it but that that could be an unanticipated trigger and what we say to unanticipated triggers give yourself permission to grieve when, when something hits you like that, it's, it goes back to the fundamental. And, uh, and so you hit upon something that's really a big issue with those who are grieving. It's a huge okay. issue. The trigger. Okay. Are you ready to take a call, my friend? Yeah. As long as you're on the phone with me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going yeah. to Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hi, you're on the program with us. Are you there? Hello, caller. Area code 540. Well, Dave, I guess, uh, I keep calling you Dave. I know your name is David. Forgive me. Oh, it's okay. I don't care. 
I, yeah. I guess that person must have gone to the uh, restroom or something. We'll try them again <laughs> in a minute. And we have a lot of people that are on on phone listening to us. We can see. We don't know how many people are actually listening to us live on Blog Talk Radio or on MarriageRadio.com. And, of course, thousands of people listen to the program later on iTunes. And so a lot of people also call in, and I can see the number of people that have called in. But if the callers want to actually ask you a question or talk to us, then they have to press the number one. Now, I'm not sure if, if you've already been in, you know, listening to us for the program. I'm not sure if you want to talk to Dave or ask David a question that I don't know if you have to call back and press that number one when you hear the menu or if you can just press the number one at any point. But David is here. As you can tell, he's a very compassionate man. As you can also tell, he's a very transparent person about his own pain and grief. He's a person, as I identified earlier in the program, that I have a deep love for him and his wife. We've been friends for a long, long, long time. time. Right. And you, uh, the two of you have a lot of people. I'm going to try this caller one more time to okay. see if he or she has come back. Right. Hello, area code 540. Are you there? Yes. Hi, I'm here. Okay. Would you like to ask a question about how to deal or heal with loss? Yes. Um I'm in a situation in my marriage. Um, basically, my husband and I went through a period where we were hurting each other, and I didn't know it at the time, but he fell out of love with me mm-hmm. and then went on to have an emotional affair. Um, so he's still living, we're still living in the same house, but he just, seems really resistant to trying to reconnect with me Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm just not really sure how to reach him and a lot of what you shared about grief you know really hit home like just the feelings I'm going through but Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of what you described would be helpful for him um you know, sort of the resentments and things like that. I, I just I'm not how sure long, how to reach him. How long has it been since he started being involved with the other person? Um, it, I think, started in the spring, and then I um, sort of confronted him in October, and okay. he confessed then. Okay, and he's still living at home with you. Is he still, as far as you know, involved with the other person? He says not, but I know that he still has contact with her, so I'm not entirely sure. Okay. By any chance, have you heard the program that we do on boundaries? Yes, I have. Um, Okay. So right now what I hear you Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say he just has so much anger and resentment toward me Mm -hmm. that I'm scared that if you do anything, right? Okay, so David, we have a person who who is in the middle of the grief process, but he's still in the house. How do you deal with that? Well, well. Well, first of all, it, it's okay that you feel terrible. I, I know that sounds terrible for me to say. Uh, it goes back to you are grieving, right? Because yeah. you're 
you've been mm-hmm. shattered, right? Your heart feels like in a million pieces and, and mm-hmm. your dreams have been shattered, the expectations that you had for the marriage. And it's a serious thing. And, and so the first thing that I think would apply is give yourself permission. It, you're not crazy. Okay. I don't know what your faith background is, but you might've felt like if you had a greater faith, this might not have happened. And often people start to question their faith. Uh, and again, I don't know what your background is there, but it, it's very easy to feel like something's wrong with you. Uh, and I'm not saying that you're perfect. I know you have faults and we all have faults, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but, uh, you are grieving, uh, the loss of expectations and, and shattered dreams and except, and what Joe said, there is hope. Uh, uh, and so, and every counselor says this, and I know Joe has said it, I've got to work on me. And, and part of that is setting healthy boundaries, right? And, mm-hmm. and so setting those healthy boundaries and you can go to Joe's program and, and get some help there. And, and then, uh, of course, uh, Joe does the marriage helper workshops for those marriages that are really hurting. And uh, so that's maybe for the future. But, but first, take care of yourself and set those health, healthy boundaries and, and work on those things that you know you can, uh, you can change about yourself. It's like on Thursday nights in our retreats, we say, we're not here to fix you. So if I tried to fix my spouse... Um, it usually doesn't work very well. And uh, so I've got to look at me, but I don't want to beat myself up too badly. I want to give myself permission to feel really bad. And then I get in position to, to, to get up and start doing those healthy things. And I know you might need some help in doing that. Are you by any chance a part of our online course, Save My Marriage? I am not. Okay. Well, you know, and, and maybe that's not a horrible for you. I, I'm not trying to sell you something. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you decide at some point that you can do that, the online course, Save My Marriage, you go to Marriage Helper, marriagehelper.com slash save my marriage, all one word. It's actually a 10-week program for the one spouse who's trying to save the marriage, giving you suggestions about what you do and how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. But the message from David tonight is this. It's okay to hurt. So, David, is there, is there value to this uh, woman to do the resentments and those kinds of things, writing them, not sharing them with her husband, but for her, her, or is that going to make things worse right now? Well, I I don't know too much about the situation, obviously, except what we've heard. Uh, It might help to, uh, for her to evaluate herself as far as uh, some regrets that she Mm -hmm. has. I might start with the regrets and focus on Mm -hmm. myself Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, what have I done? And I'm not blaming you for the marriage problems. Uh, I want you to hear me on that. Uh, But we all make mistakes. We all have things we need to work on. And so I might start with uh, what are my regrets that I have, uh, things that I could that I wish I could do different, better or more or had done different, better or more. And then really check out some help from other people, such as what Joe is offering you on the Save My Marriage course. And, 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 and you do need to set some healthy boundaries, but, you know, right now you, you have a wounded heart. It, yeah. it, you can hear it in your voice, and I, I mm-hmm. certainly get it. I, I get it. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand everything you're going through, but I know you're hurting deeply, and you're not crazy. You're hurting. You're grieving. Mm-hmm. 
because things are not the way you dreamed. And I know you didn't sign up for that when you walked down the aisle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it hurts. It hurts mm-hmm. like crazy. So deal with that hurt as best you can. Give yourself permission, David says, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Work on you, knowing it's not all your fault, okay? Right. And And if you have trouble getting into the Save My Marriage course, let me know, okay? We're going to go to another mm-hmm. caller now, but I'm – our heart is with you, my friend. Okay. Right. In just a few minutes, we're going to take another call. But before that, or after that, we're going to tell you if you are interested in going to the Spark of Life retreat, how you can contact Spark of Life. Spark of Life. David's nonprofit is set up differently than ours. And in David's nonprofit, um, donors actually make it possible for you to go without paying any kind of a fee. Right. Our, right. Ours is a different kind of nonprofit. We work with a, a lot more people, and there is a fee for ours. And, and that's not to say that ours is bigger or better than David's. Don't hear right. that. It's, we're just structured differently. Sure. And, sure. and if you are interested in our 911 workshop for marriages in crisis, if you can, I suggest that you enroll before the end of the calendar year. Because if you do so, even if you don't come until next year, if you do so, you can get it at this year's prices. Because like every other organization on the planet, we have to raise prices as everything changes. But, and, 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 you know, we still give you more than you ever pay for. So if you want to get in at this year's prices, then if you're working with your spouse or whatever, try your best to enroll before the end of the calendar year, even if you don't come until February or March, so that you can take advantage of that, that this year's prices. Now, Terry, uh, Terry, <laughs> well, I'm losing my whole brain here. You're not Terry. Terry's a, and Terry got to go home, by the way. He's fighting, he's uh, battling leukemia. He uh, got to go home for a few days from the chemo treatments. He's one of our team and a great guy. So after after this next call, uh, David, let's tell them how they can come to your retreat, okay? So let's take this call here. Okay. Area code 862, you're on the program with us. Hi. um, I'm calling because of my son, who um, he's 13, and I actually called before where my husband is in the valley. Mm Mm-hmm. Last week, I was listening to the show where Jolene and Jimmy came on the phone, and I believe that was their second. Um, My son has been dealing with the loss, and he feels that his father has left him, seeing that he's left the home, um, and he's falling into depression, and unfortunately, he um, was hospitalized because he wanted to harm himself. Um, He's doing better now, but he still is trying to deal with um, whether his father is going to come back. Um, questioning his faith, questioning God, you know, if God does really exist. Um, how do I help him? Um, Dad, my husband, has been coming around um, and just recently had mentioned to the kids that he would be willing to take them to church for the very first time. Okay. Well, well, I would... Uh... Uh, obviously you've gotten your son some help. You said he'd been hospitalized and uh, he's doing better, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. And, and I'm not going to, you know, this is so profound, but I, I know that you love him and you're so concerned and give him permission. And I'm sure you do to, to create, you know, you create a safe place for him emotionally where he can say anything. Uh, if, you know, I have questioned God and I preached for 40 years and I used to question God and I'd, I'd have to go up and preach. So when our grandson died, I, uh, I wasn't a very happy camper, you know, with mm-hmm. God. And part of a, part of a growing faith is to be honest with my feelings, even toward God. 
Mm. And so if he expresses that about God, and, and you've probably handled this right, give him permission to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. God can take it. God can take yeah. it. In yeah. fact, uh, intimacy with God comes after we fight with God. And so I went to a period of two years of being very angry at God and expressing that anger to him. Me and, me and God had it out. And, and when you come out, if, if you're in an environment, let's say my mom uh, acts like she understands that and, and gives me permission to express that and uh, not try to keep me from those expressions uh, like that, then actually it helps. It, it helps because uh, it validates me as a person when I'm able to express my feelings and my disappointment with my dad and uh, your son maybe has guilt feelings. I don't know. You know, uh, in fact, my dad left when I was about 13. My dad left. My mom and dad split up and uh, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. I'll never forget my mom uh, being okay with with my feelings. Uh, and she never and, and you're you're going to be okay with your son's feelings, too. Now, you're concerned in, about him and about his health, especially when he's thought about hurting himself. So I think you're doing really good um, from what it appears to be. But you just let him know it's okay for him to have whatever feelings he has and uh, and, and just try to listen to him. Uh, we always say a heart with two ears and two eyes and a nose, no mouth. That's how we listen to each other. And uh, and I think the other key is for you to be honest, uh, and it's age appropriate, of course, but you to be honest with him about your feelings of sadness or, or uh, you know, your concern uh, about your marriage, uh, and I know that uh, 13 is a tough age. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'd go back to be that age, you know. So th- that's kind of my encouragement to you about that. I am so, so sorry for his pain. And as part yeah. of this, and I'm yeah. sure you already know this, yeah. while you accept what he feels about his dad and you let him talk with that and you, and you give him affirmation for that, at the same time, be very careful not to throw dad under right. the bus. That's because right. that won't help either. I'm yeah. so sorry for his pain and your pain, but thank God you got him to some help. Good for you. Right. Thank right. You. Okay. Seems well, like you're a great mom. Great mom. <laughs> thank you. And I'm happy to hear, Joe, that you're going to do um, what, a, what About Me program for the children. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And I and think that's... just because he, I played the audio message of Jimmy and – Mm-hmm. It was like, I think it was like a mirror image for him to hear, like he wasn't wow. alone. He wasn't the only 13-year-old that had thoughts of questioning God. Wow. So, and I know there are other children. I just don't want him to lose faith. And I can see God is working on, on my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's in God's perfect timing. I think with kids, it's hard for them to understand. So I just want yes. him to not lose mm-hmm. sight on that. Right. right. And I don't know, with respect to my husband, who's still in the valley, Right. Well, let's just let's hope and pray that he comes out of that valley. May God be with you, my friend. Thank you. Okay, Jimmy, if you're listening out there, did you hear that? Your call last week, Jimmy, actually had an effect on another young man your age. David, before we end up here, I want to ask you about two different things. One is I want to ask you to tell people about your retreat and how they can find out about that. And the other is, before we get off the air here, I want you to talk about forgiving God since you brought that up. Yep. Well, uh, sparkoflife.org, 
go to our website and you can find out all about uh, Spark of Life and our, our grief retreats. We also do grief workshops for those who, uh, for churches. Uh, we also do retreats for businesses who actually pay for the retreats for their employees. And that's been a great success. And our grief workshops are, are all over different churches, different businesses. And uh, uh, our retreats start on Thursday night and end on Sunday. And they're at fabulous places all over the nation. We have retreats. Uh, we're about to put up our dates for our Alaska retreats <laughs> in the summer. We have four retreats in Alaska on the most beautiful place you can, you can imagine, right on the Kenai River. Uh, our retreats are characterized by great food, great lodging. Uh, bad jokes from David. I have three jokes I tell during the retreat. Joe, you would, you know, uh, <laughs> probably think they're kind of corny. And then, uh, uh, but great food and and great love. And and our our groups are small, sixteen people at the max at most retreats. So it's a very intimate group. You can you can come if you're if you you come with a friend. Maybe you're you're not in grief right now. Uh, you come with a friend, but you have to work on your losses as well. Everybody's got loss. But uh, counselors are welcome to come, ministers, funeral home director. You don't have to have a presiding loss to come to one of our retreats. Uh, it's, it, we don't qualify anybody. If you get in, first come, first serve, that's, that's how we do it. And what was the second part of the question? What, was the well, what about forgiving God? Oh, forgiving oh, and by, God. By the well, way, wrote, they, did, did you already mention your website? Did you say that and I just missed it? Yeah, sparkoflife.org. Okay. And uh, you can register for a retreat. You can call us. We have our number there, our email. Uh, Forgiving God, I actually wrote a book called uh, The Guilt of God with a question mark. And it's on our web page. You can order it on our web page. But The Guilt of God, basically, I had to forgive God. Uh, And really, I had to forgive the God I didn't understand. And I have the right as a, as a human being, and God gives me this right to disagree with God. And I, I say this kind of sarcastically, God's usually right, <laughs> and I'm not. Uh, but I do have a right to say I don't like it that he didn't heal Josiah. I prayed that he would heal Josiah. He did not. Uh, I do not blame God for every bad thing in the world because we have free will. Uh, but when God could intervene and he doesn't, I, I, I have to forgive him and, and forgiveness is letting go of the resentments, you know, and I, I so I have to let go of that. Uh, I came close to being real bitter against God and I, I, you know, and I had to let go of that. But, but when I, when I railed against God, I mean, me and God, um, he did listen to me cause he's mm-hmm. my Abba father. And, uh, and, and what helped me forgive God is the cross. I can't get away from Romans eight. If, if he gave us his son, will he not along with him, give us everything else we need. Uh, I can't get away from the cross. Uh, I always come back to Jesus on the cross and Mm -hmm. realize that God is a griever as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God lost a son. Uh, I'll just tell you a real quick story. Dennis and Terry lost their daughter and uh, to murder. And the, when he found out about it, Dennis had to go in the police station to where all the friends and family were and tell them that their daughter, Micah, had died, mm-hmm. had been murdered. Mm-hmm. And as he is walking across the room by himself, of course, deep grief, deep shock, he said, right. he said out loud to God, God, you don't know what it's like to lose a child. And then he stopped and he looked up and he said, maybe you do know what it's like. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, God has grieved and God weeps with us. And, and the John 11 passage, Jesus wept and God sees the pain we have. And God comes near the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61 is kind of our verse, you know, uh, they will be called oaks of righteousness, those who mourn now. And so that helped me let go of that bitterness to God, but I really needed permission to express it. Mm-hmm. All right. And so when I had that permission uh, for me, I had to give myself permission uh, mm-hmm. and reading scripture about lament and about how people in scripture uh, ask God the tough questions. It mm-hmm. helped me let go of that resentment. I, I'm not angry anymore with God. I don't like it when I hear sad stories and we hear them every day, just about, mm-hmm. I don't like it. And I say, Oh God, but I know God will come near the brokenhearted, whether it's in a marriage relationship situation, God will come near the brokenhearted. And uh, that's how, that's how, how it's helped me. I can't get away from Jesus spreading his arms wide on the cross. I understand. Get away David, yeah. David, thank you. Thank you so much for being thank part you, of this Joe. program. Thank you for what you do in workshops with us where you help couples. Yeah. And I'll tell everybody again, if you think you might be coming to the 911 workshop, do your best to enroll before the end of this calendar year so you can get this year's prices, even if you come next year. David, I hope a lot of people go to sparkoflife.org. Right. Give, your, right. give my love to your beautiful wife. And well, thank you, you so too. much, my friend. All right, buddy. Love you. God bless. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye.